We live in an age of peril, despair, apathy, and sorrow. But we also live in an age of promise. Promise that as we live as best we can, God will be right there with us, providing peace and safety. And even though our efforts will be wrought with sin and failure, we can, like Paul, embrace the endlessly merciful doctrine that we are ultimately saved by the grace of God. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit may teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. I think an example of a believer is the prophet. I just think it's amazing how he stays strong to the gospel and preaches to everybody all around the world. An example of a believer for me would be my parents. And the reason why is because my mom is a mother of nine, and that's a lot of kids. And she's just a true example of what faith and courage in the Lord looks like, and that's who I aspire to be. Someone who I look up to and who is a believer to me is definitely my dad. So he grew up in kind of more of the, I guess, harsher environment, harsher background. But seeing just how much he's changed and how much he's come closer to his Heavenly Father just makes me want to be just like him and come closer to my Heavenly Father. I see examples of believers all the time. Um, I am a middle school teacher, and it is always interesting to see what kind of behaviors will pop up for 12 to 14-year-olds. And the examples of the believers to me are those who will actively stand for the right, those who will actively stand for the good and be a positive influence for those around them. Welcome everybody, my name is Ben Lomu and I'm your host. Our gospel scholar for today is Patrick Mason. Patrick is a professor of religious studies and history at Utah State University. Patrick, always great to have you here. Thanks, it's good to be here. And our special guest today is Tom Coford. Tom has served as a bishop and a branch president and has worked for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in the Information and Communication Services Department for 16 years. Tom, welcome. Thank you, I'm excited to be here. And we're also joined by our studio audience. Welcome all of you, thanks for being here as well. And to the viewers at home, thanks for joining us. Please join us for further conversation online through any of our social media platforms. Today, we've selected two topics to discuss that relate to passages found in 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. These topics and discussions support and build upon the Come Follow Me resource developed and published by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The two topics we're going to discuss are first, living the gospel provides safety from the spiritual dangers of the last days, and second, I am saved by the grace of God. After exploring these two topics with our panel and studio audience, we'll let our studio audience go for the footnotes segment of the show and dive deeper with Patrick and Tom. So Patrick, as we get into this, this first topic of living the gospel provides safety from the spiritual dangers of the last days, uh, what sort of context can you provide from the scriptures that'll help us understand this topic a little more? Yeah, so we've got four letters that we're talking about today, First and Second Timothy and Titus and Philemon. And together, these are known as the pastoral letters. Okay. These are letters that Paul sent to individuals, so to Timothy, to Titus, to Philemon. Uh, Timothy and Titus had been missionary companions of his on his various journeys around, but they're younger. So he's, okay. he's writing to them, kind of training the next generation of leadership in the church. So this is Paul when he's getting older. So there's a lot in here of instruction 
instructions to them of how to run the church. Then also warnings about some of the dangers that they should look out for as, as the church develops in this new generation and looking forward uh, to, you know, to the future as well. Okay. I want to ask Tom, what do you tell some of the members of your congregation to help protect themselves from these spiritual dangers? A lot of it, I think, are the basic things. I, I come from an information technology background, and you can't identify every threat. You just know if you're a popular site, you might have millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions attacks in a single day. But some of the biggest risks to, to companies are instructing, teaching employees to not click on a link in an email. That might be your biggest weakness. <laughs> wow. So you have to do the basics, and then you just have to know that things are going to get through somehow, and hopefully they're not the biggest, nastiest things, um, but, but you also have to train yourself to recognize them. So it's the basic primary answers and then being alert. Well, I'm excited today to talk about some of these core principles that can help us with whatever it is that is creeping in on how to combat those. And I'd love to hear from the audience, what are some of the spiritual dangers you see in the world today? Ziona. Um, I think the hugest one is social media because a lot of people have it, like especially teenagers, everybody has a phone and access to internet and Instagram, TikTok, and there's so much distractions, so much temptations, so much addictions that can take you away from the spirit and how you think of people. So Ziona, how do you find that balance between using those things for your benefit and being cautious of the dangers that it uh, presents? Well, I think you should look at things that would be edifying, uplifting, things that speak of goodness, and not things that would take you away from your relationship with God. You know, and I like how she talks about to look for those things that are positive, because we can't avoid living in the world in which we live. However, there are things that we can do to combat some of these things that Paul is talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think as, as we talk about how do we insulate ourselves or protect ourselves uh, from some of these dangers, Paul gives us some great advice. Just looking at a, at a couple of different things in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he tells us in verses 11 and 12, he says, but thou, O man of God, flee these things, right? So run away from all this bad stuff uh, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. I think Paul's advice here is really good. Like, what do you do? You fill your life with good things, mm -hmm. you know? So, so you, you, you focus so much on doing good and being good, it doesn't leave much room for the other stuff. Just a modern uh, parallel, President Nelson challenged the youth to, to fast from social media and to use some of that time to pursue uh, family history a little bit. Um, similar type of things, mm -hmm. fast, get away from, from some of the toxic parts of social media and, and do something good with that time. Yeah, and, and one of the things that we can do, so if we go to 2 Timothy 3, uh, one of these positive things we can do is what we're doing right now, study the scriptures together, right? We can fill, you know, instead of some of that time you spend doom scrolling mm -hmm. uh, or, or maybe looking at other negative things, fill that time with looking at the scriptures. And this is exactly what he tells Timothy. From a child that was known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. 
All scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man and woman of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto good works. So scriptures help us become better. They help furnish us or prepare us for good works. Can we uh, kind of look at some of these things that Paul is warning us that the scriptures can protect us from? Yeah, absolutely. So if this goes to the, to the start of chapter three. Right in verse one, he says, this know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, hey kids, uh, <laughs> unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, hide-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Think how much stuff is available to us, right. how much knowledge, how much, it's amazing, it's a miracle, right? How much knowledge we carry around in our pockets, but there's a way that we can have all that information and actually never come to the knowledge of the truth. Yeah, and spend a lot of time, because of, because of all that information and the addictive nature of it sometimes, um, it prevents us from spending time doing other good things. Mm -hmm. So how do you help some of, you mentioned how you, you work with young men. With all the information that is out there, how do you help them stay focused on what they need to, to in order to succeed? That's a great question. And different families have different approaches. I, I, I found that, that most youth have success when they have support from, from the whole family. And the whole family is doing the same type of thing. Okay. So when they show up for a meal, you know, the the other siblings don't get to play on their device during Phones the meal. Phones go away. Yeah. Right, yeah. Um, some some basic things like that in in the home. Um, putting some hard limits on on devices and and maybe having a discussion about the time limits. I, mm -hmm. I find just tracking the amount of time, and and reporting that back to my kids, they're sometimes astonished that they spent that much time in a day looking at their device. And when when it when you add it all up like that it's a big enough number that it makes them want to change a little bit. So I, I think knowledge and, and some of those controls and boundaries. You know, and it's not just kids. We've been talking about kids, right? I mean, it's all of us. I mean, it's adults. And, and I think we've, in some ways, we've forgotten what it's like to just be with ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, think, think about just like, if you've got like five seconds, you know, in an elevator or in a grocery line, what do you do? You pull out your phone, right? Yeah. It's, it's like, we can't even just spend 10 seconds with ourselves or, or just thinking. And so, so part of it is, is just being really conscious about, okay, maybe I don't need to, to pull out my phone right now. Maybe I can just be with myself. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe I don't need to doom scroll before going to bed. Maybe I can spend a little time, a little more time praying, a little more time pondering, talking to my spouse, talking to my kids, you know, real life interactions. It's, but it takes, you gotta be intentional about it. As we talk about these things, what are some of the things that you do or have done to protect yourself against some of these spiritual dangers? Ammon because I've kind of like grown up in the social media life. I mean, me and my sister, we also sing. And so we kind of like are in that environment a mm -hmm. lot. But um, for me, I think it's remembering the purpose of what I'm, like why I'm here on earth and why I'm on social media. And I think if we can remember the purpose of why we're doing certain things, it, help us, it helps us to kind of look at things in a certain way. And also taking a break and learning how to, you know, work on yourself. And I think a lot of people forget that is that when you work on yourself, you're also coming closer to your Father in heaven because he's the one that's giving you this body and giving you this mind. So coming back to him and helping, uh, just remembering who you are. 
I love how as, as Emma is talking about how you really have to, the sense of you have to be proactive is the importance of being proactive and, and, and taking proactive measures to protect ourselves against some of these spiritual dangers. I, I think it's the only thing that works. But being proactive, a lot of it is, is being self-aware. And, and I think that's where the Holy Ghost can help you change habits or change who you are a little bit is, is initially if, if you can pray and ask that the Holy Ghost will just make you aware when you're starting to doom scroll. That happens, you know, you're looking at one, one news story and an hour later you've spent an hour <laughs> doom scrolling. And um, to be aware, maybe after 30 seconds that, oh, here's, here's the behavior I'm starting to repeat. I need to pull myself out of that and, and do something different. And Patrick, I want to share a quote before I ask you a question um, about uh, from Sister Bingham, uh, talking about one of the things that we can do as, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to really protect ourselves. She says, those who make further covenants in the temple receive powerful promises conditioned on personal faithfulness. In that process, we are given or endowed with the power to discern between truth and error, between right and wrong, amid the confusing and negative voices that bombard us. What a powerful gift. As it relates to what Paul is trying to teach, what is the importance of covenants and our ability to overcome these spiritual uh, dangers that are out there? As Sister Bingham talked about, the, 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 the power of covenants. All of this is about God empowering us to, to, to be able to resist. Uh, and the promise to us is that God will help us do that. God will help protect us. God will help us resist. But then we're all human. Mm -hmm. We all make mistakes. We all fall. We live in a fallen world. And so then he also gives us the power to repent. Tom, I'd love to hear your thoughts as you work with the members of your congregation about just the importance of, of not only living those covenants, but working towards making and keeping covenants we're too hard on ourselves. It's rare, the experience where God, the Spirit is offended to the point that some type of progress needs to be made the other direction. Usually it's just people getting back in line, getting back in tune to understand how much God still loves them mm -hmm. despite whatever has happened and that the atonement is there and it's already done. Well, thank you. I look forward to continuing, you know, talking about these things. Um, in footnotes later on, but what a great discussion so far. And from the audience, thank you so much on helping us uh, talk about, you know, the, the protection, the spiritual protection that comes from living the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to the viewers at home, how have you utilized gospel learning and living to provide safety for yourself and your family? Share with us on Facebook and Instagram. Grace to me, it feels like I cannot fail. God's love is so infinite, and I believe that grace is really truly the love of God. Grace to me means that I can receive divine assistance and strength and guidance as I'm striving to become a more holier person and a better disciple of Jesus Christ. Grace for me has always been very similar to Christ's mercy. I know that as an imperfect human being, I'm gonna make a lot of mistakes. And I know that as I repent of those mistakes, that's only gonna take me so far. I'm still imperfect. I'm still not going to completely overcome what I've just done. 
And so knowing that Christ's grace and his mercy are going to make up the difference, that is a key to me. And that is a big blessing in my life. So our second topic for today is, I am saved by the grace of God. Patrick, what sort of scriptural context do we need to understand as we jump into our second topic? Yeah, this is such a great topic and it's right at the heart of Paul's teaching. Paul is the great teacher of grace uh, in, in the New Testament and it comes out of his own experience. Right. And he talks about it here in 1 Timothy. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Wow. Right? I mean, this is the great apostle. He's preached all over. He's brought so many people, but he remembers what he was like. He yeah. remembers what he was like in the before times, right? Tom, I'm sure you uh, have spoken with a lot of people who feel that same way as Paul, that they are the chiefest of sinners, as I think sometimes we all do. Yeah. How do you help them rely on the grace of Jesus Christ to overcome some of those feelings? I, I don't think God withdraws as much as we close ourselves off because we feel bad about something in our life that needs to change. But when we feel that, I, I think sometimes I uh, don't feel worthy to approach God. I feel like I've, I'm, I'm going against what I, should be, what I should be doing. So helping people and sometimes challenging them to take action, to do something that will help them feel close to Him again and feel that the grace is there. You know, it took me a while to learn this lesson. I didn't think a lot about grace. I don't think I heard a lot about grace, or if I did, it didn't register with me. And so it was when I was a missionary and I was in Seattle and there were a lot of evangelical Christians there that, that, that we would talk to. And it was those brothers and sisters, they helped teach me about grace which then got me to go back and open the Book of Mormon and realize, oh, wait a minute, grace is everywhere, <laughs> right? I mean, I had just missed it. And I think we, we do ourselves a disservice individually and as a church when we don't focus on just, just how important, how central grace is as one of the, as the, one of the core doctrines of the gospel. And, and Paul is, is really, he focuses so much on, on Jesus Christ. What can we learn from his teachings as far as uh, Christ's role as our mediator to the Father as we seek grace? Yeah, for, for Paul, it's all about Jesus Christ and it's about grace all the way through. So, you know, sometimes we think, and I think part of my understanding at first was like, oh, I gotta do all this stuff, and then like God will make up the difference, Jesus will make up the difference, and that's what we call grace. What Paul is saying is grace all the way through, yeah. right? The fact that you are alive, the fact that you woke up this morning and took a breath, that's grace. And, and I think when you, when you understand that, then it just changes your paradigm. I think it changes your relationship with God. It, it puts you in an attitude of, of gratitude towards God for this grace that's been there all along. It's not conditional. You don't earn it. God isn't waiting to give you grace. He's given you grace all along. Bishop Coford, I'm gonna ask you a question. <laughs> as, a, as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, are you saved by grace? Absolutely. 
Um, it's, and it's interesting because I, I have a good dear friend of mine um, who was once a member of, of our church and has since left and is uh, a member of a, a different Christian religion now. And a, a lot of our discussions um, are about this misunderstanding that many, many of us have where um, other religions feel, get the sense, it seems, that, that maybe we don't believe in grace, that we're saved by grace, and that grace is easily accessible. And I think it's because we do, we do tend to, I tend to focus more on, um, not more, but put some emphasis on the transformation, on becoming better, becoming more like God. And I think sometimes other people perceive that as being us professing that we're earning grace somehow. Well, we had a, we had a very sincere question uh, coming from one of our viewers. Uh, and I, as we watch this, I would love to get some of your thoughts on, on some of the feelings that they're having. Hello, my name is Rachel. I'm from Guinea, Conakry. I just have one question. When we turn away from God, then let us repent sincerely. Can we hope to be saved by grace? What can we learn about the power of the atonement as we try to help Rachel understand grace? We believe in an infinite atonement. I'm not very good with math, right? <laughs> but as far as I understand it, there's nothing I can do that eclipses infinity. Mm -hmm. And so, God's grace is sufficient. So the answer to Rachel is yes, absolutely. No matter what you've done, you cannot escape the long arm of God's grace. It is sufficient. There is enough. There is more than enough. So repentance is to let the river of God's love just wash over us. I love that. You know, in the second chapter of 1 Timothy, Paul talks about how um, in verse 5, there is one God and one mediator, uh, and then you go down to verse seven and he talking about himself, he says, wherefore I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak to truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. This idea that Paul recognizes his role in helping others obtain grace. I'm curious, Thomas, as a bishop, for those that are watching, how do you help them to recognize that God's grace is ever present in their lives? You know, that feels, it's really humbling to be asked something like that. Um, as as a, a bishop, I, I feel like I'm, I'm the normal guy next door. But one of the interesting things that comes with the calling is feeling the love that God has for his children, um, a portion of that. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't recognize it all the time with me, but when I'm talking to other people who are struggling, I can feel him manifest somehow. It taps in, and I don't know if it's the keys or the calling or being in the room with people and, and sharing kind of a sacred conversation, sacred moment, um, but rec helping them recognize that he loves them and that it's, that it's there. Sometimes it takes some challenges. Sometimes it takes a change in behavior a little bit for, for them to move into a place where they can feel it. But I, I am confident it's there. It's, mm -hmm. it's always there. You know, Brad Wilcox talks about sometimes uh, in the church today, I think we feel that um, what we're doing is not good enough. And, and he talks about this, this feeling that often 
uh, creeps into to members of our faith. He says, too many are giving up on the church because they are tired of constantly feeling like they are falling short. They have tried in the past, but they always feel like they're just not good enough. They don't understand grace. There should never be just two options, perfection or giving up. Growth and development take time. Learning takes time. When we understand grace, we understand that God is long-suffering, that change is a process, and that repentance is a pattern in our lives. Patrick, what can you teach us about what Paul is saying um, to the members of his time that relates to what we go through it, it, it today with these feelings of always falling short? Yeah, I mean, it's it's so common. It's so so easy to feel. And I, I think for... Um, for Paul, it was it was a process. Mm-hmm. Uh, he certainly he had um, that instantaneous moment, right? That 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 moment right. on the road to Damascus where he saw Jesus, and that changed everything in his life. But but then he had to take some time. It took him years before he really started into the ministry. He had to really figure this out. And then and then he grows, and we see some of his own foibles, some of mm-hmm. his own flaws on display. But then by the end of his life. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, this is, this is maybe one of the very last things he writes. This is one of the last letters. And uh, in chapter 4, verse 7, he says, I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. All right? It wasn't, I did it all overnight. Mm-hmm. Right? It wasn't like I was perfect right from day one. It was like he kept at it. Right? And here is the great apostle of grace. Yeah. Right? But he says, I had to work at it. I had to keep going. I had to let that grace transform me day after day, week after week, year after year, until he could send it at the end of his life. Not, I'm perfect, yeah. I'm ready. It's like, I did my best, right? I let God's grace transform me and so that I could become the vessel that God wants me to be. Well, I'd love to hear again from the audience on how have you seen that transformation that Paul speaks of either in your life or in the life of someone you know through the grace of God? Heather. Um, You know, it's interesting in our household because my son was the spiritual giant in our home and I, I lost him in 2020 at 19 to brain cancer. But talking about fighting the good fight of faith, my son did that. He never complained. He was faithful. He believed. He read his scriptures. He made sure that people came and administered the sacrament to him and, you know, fought every, you know, I complain when I have cramps or a headache, but he just (laughs) never did. And I'm still learning. And I've really felt my son's love this week as I've sought in nature, time away to have reflection of where I'm at in my own personal spiritual journey and have felt closer not only to my son, but also uh, to God and and feeling Christ in in my life. And um, so anyway, that's that's kind of where I'm at, so. You know, Heather, uh, you shared something so personal. Uh, Thank you. Um, How did you feel that God's grace attended you as you mourn the loss of your son? Sure. I know that my son is still with me. I feel him um, often. And knowing that helps a lot. And, And knowing that he is no longer in pain 
and that he's checking in on me. I think a lot of times he's looking down at me and kind of shrugging his shoulders and shaking his head a little bit, but I, but I feel that. And I, um, I know he'd, you know, I, he's here, here with me today and he's happy that I, I'm here today. I, 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 I lo- you can just tell like, to go through something so difficult yet to be smiling and happy and have that aura, that comes through the grace that Paul speaks of. And it's just evident in what Heather is, is talking about, how through grace she saw it in her son and she's experiencing herself as she goes through this process uh, of dealing with that loss. We have a wonderful quote by Michelle Craig that really just kind of wraps up what we've been talking about today. She says, of course, all of us will fall short of our divine potential. And there is some truth in the realization that alone we are not enough, but the good news of the gospel is that with the grace of God, we are enough. With Christ's help, we can do all things. What a great discussion we've had. Tom, thank you so much for for sharing with us. And Patrick, as always, it's been wonderful to talk about grace, a topic that sometimes can be misunderstood, but thanks for adding your insights. And for the audience as well, thanks for bringing that energy and, and for sharing your experiences with us also. And for those at home, we still have so much to cover from these epistles with Patrick and Tom and footnotes coming up next. I enjoyed this topic today because it talked a lot about of the modern issues that we face. And just to have people speak about it and to show that you're not alone in your struggles and what you think is such a beautiful thing. And it gives you even more motivation and support to um, fight those spiritual dangers. I think the ultimate thing that I've learned is the love that and grace that the Lord gives to us. I've heard so many stories of people um, receiving grace into their lives. And I think that's ultimately helped me to remember that I can come back to God, that there's always repentance and grace for me to come back. I really appreciate actually one of the comments that were made by one of the people in the audience, and it was about her son that had passed away from some type of cancer. And I could see within her that she had used the grace of God to help her through the trial and to also live continually right now with joy and happiness in her life. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. We've dismissed our studio audience and are looking forward to building upon our previous discussions about the epistles of Timothy, Titus, and Philemon with Patrick and Tom. Okay, we, we, we had some really good conversations uh, earlier and, and we have barely touched on yeah, so, much. so much here. So Patrick, uh, where should we start? Uh, I mean, I think one of the great things, we, we did talk about this, that, that Paul is training the next generation of leaders, right? And, mm-hmm. he, and he's talking about how to organize these churches because uh, now you've got churches that are far flung, right? It's not just in Jerusalem. It's not just in a few places. They've set up churches all over the place. So he's giving instructions now to, to these younger leaders on how to set it up. Uh, they're calling bishops. They're calling elders. We, we see kind of the organization of the church start to emerge here. Um, and uh, Tom, you, you know, you're, you're, you're a bishop. And so, so maybe we could start, start there just in terms of thinking about uh, Paul's advice on what it means to be a bishop or just a, a good leader with, within the church. Yeah, you know, I, I, looked, through, I looked through this list again, um, <laughs> prepping for this. And 
It is humbling, to say the least. If we look in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the first verse seems almost crazy to me. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. <laughs> Who in their right mind wants to, wants be. to do this? Yeah. So verse 2, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, and apt to teach. My goodness, just just those are tough. The, the next ones are maybe easier, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjugation with all gravity. Wow. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna tell my kids that that's where this comes from. Um, yeah. Or maybe I should tell them that's where it right. comes from. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. My stake president, such a wonderful man, he said something to the effect of. God is gonna make it right. You can only do your best, and God is gonna make what you do work somehow. You are the person meant to be here with all of your quirks, with your personality, with your biases. Um, you're the person he wants in, in this position right now. So what do you say to, what, would you, what sort of advice would you give to some of the members out there in, in regards to the relationship they have with their, with their bishop? Kind of speak to that a little bit about, you know, from what you've experienced serving as a bishop yeah. yourself, what would you tell the members out there? Um, go easy on him. <laughs> um, he's, it's interesting, the variety of, of situations that people come to me with or that I'm asked to make a decision about. And I, I guess every, every bishop, everybody in every calling is doing something that they're not totally comfortable with. And that's how we grow, that's mm -hmm. how we learn. And, everybody should be blessed with a calling that they feel totally inadequate for. Um, because you learn a lot about yourself. You see, you see your weaknesses, but you also get a glimpse of the godliness, if I might say that, that is in you. You're a combination of talents and abilities and personality. And once in a while, you see the, the impact or effect on somebody who needs help and and it's rewarding. Well, and that's part of the grace that we were talking about, that, that uh, uh, I'm guessing, I mean, I'll, I'll, uh, that you've experienced this too, all the other bishops I've talked to is feel like that God's empowered them to do more than they could have done just on, on their own, right? So there's Absolutely. that part of the grace that God is giving us. But I think what you're also asking for is for members of the church to give their bishops a little grace yeah. also yeah. as, as yeah. well, to recognize that um, you're, you're still just Tom. Yeah, right? totally, yep. Now, is there any significance to uh, Paul you know, and speaking to Timothy and then later on to Titus, as, we, as he's, in both instances, he's talking, you know, about the role of a bishop. Is there anything as we compare these two um, uh, accounts uh, that we should pay attention to? Well, it's, I think it's pretty significant that there are, that they are pretty consistent, mm -hmm. actually. Um, they're not exactly uh, the same. Tit the one in Titus is a little bit shorter. 
uh, than in Timothy, but, but it's the same kind of principle. I like this one, a lover of hospitality, right? The kind of graciousness, you know, to open up, you know. I, I, think, a bishop, I think of the best bishops I've had, they, they make the ward a place of hospitality. Mm-hmm. You know, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word has, as he has been taught uh, so that you can teach sound doctrine both to exhort and, and to convince the gainsayers, the critics. I mean, there's a lot that falls on the plate mm-hmm. of, of a bishop. Um, and, uh, and that's why they have to be helped. Uh, and, and so in both Timothy and Titus, it's not just the bishop. I mean, they talk about elders, they talk about deacons, they talk about other offices within the church. So we see this even from the very beginning, and certainly this is true in the restored church, is there's, there's a role for everybody. Mm-hmm. There's a role for men and women. It's, it's not the church of bishops, right? <laughs> it's bishops are part of the, you know, an, a really important part of it. Yeah, and I, I see it. You talk about how the importance, and I don't know if it's any more important. I guess the keys need to be there, but, but I look at the primary chorister yeah. as maybe the most important guy <laughs> yeah. in the ward, and we have the best primary chorister <laughs> on the planet, honestly. Um, and it is, is it a, it, it's a treat to go in there and those kids love coming to church and they're developing awesome memories and they'll be able to withstand, you know, those teenage years where, where you feel a little awkward and out of place some, sometimes and other kids maybe aren't so nice. They'll still have good memories of church because of that person. And Tom, you've had experience not only as a bishop, but early on uh, in your life, as you mentioned, as a branch president. Will you explain maybe a little bit what that process was like starting just at the base of building up a congregation and some of the the challenges and, and the blessings that you saw come from that? Yeah. So I was called to the Portugal Lisbon South mission. And in the very beginning of 92, I was transferred to this island of São Vicente in Cabo Verde, the city of Mindelo. And there was already a sizable congregation. The average age, I would guess, was probably 17. (laughs) So there were a couple hundred members coming to the branch every week and not very many older people. And how old were you at this time? And I was, yeah, a year or two older than, than the average age. I had the, the opportunity to serve as a branch president for, for a little while. Sundays, people, people didn't have a habit of waking up early and walking a long distance to get to church. So we would get up uh, two hours before church, we would start waking people up. We'd go to their doors, knock on their doors, and their parents were happy to have us come in and, and, and drag them to church. So we'd, we'd go, you know, shake them, pull their, <laughs> pull their covers off, get them, get them going. And there, there were several that were happy, happy to get up and go. But th- then they would divide with us. So we'd start two hours before, divide, divide again, and go through neighborhoods, waking everybody up wow. to get to church. <laughs> it's like the old church bells, you know, yeah. but in your case, yeah. you were like literally, yeah. And, and I wondered, um, you know, after, after serving there, and, and seeing the tremendous growth, wondering what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I did all of this. Were we, was the church growing too fast? Were we teaching the right things? You know, we were just basic handbook type. We were re- one page ahead of them, you know, as missionaries. <laughs> what does the handbook say next, you know? And, and then teaching them how to run the church. So recently, I, for work, had the opportunity to go back to Cabo Verde to help with the dedication of the Praia Cabo Verde Temple. <laughs> and I, I 
I dragged my family along and I sent a few messages to some people who I know there and asked if we could meet up. And it was amazing to learn those, those young people that were my age, who'd been members of the church for six months, who were helping wake people up on Sunday. One of them was the first Cabo Verdean mission president. One was the stake president, recently released, first stake president on that, on that island, and a temple was dedicated. And it was just miraculous. It was such a blessing to me. And so looking back on that whole experience, um, God is, is in the details of our lives. And I don't know if that was a reward just for me. That seems awful <laughs> selfish, you know? Hopefully I'm helping the technology where I, where I am also, but it was a blessing to me. You know, and a lot of what Paul uh, teaches is about what we can do to guide some of this younger generation. And Patrick, what are some of the things that, that we can look at that shows, you know, we, we just ha had a perfect example from Tom about the efforts that we put in. What, what are some of the things that Paul is trying to teach uh, as far as what we can do to this younger generation to help keep them or lead them to the path? Yeah, I mean, a lot of this, we don't know exactly how old Timothy was mm -hmm. uh, uh, when, when he's getting this, uh, these letters, but Paul refers to him as a, as a young man, refers to his, his youth. And, you know, some of it is just good, solid advice, like 2 Timothy 2, uh, verse 22, uh, flee also youthful lusts, you know, follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart, you know? So stay away from those, the kind of trouble you get into uh, as, 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 as a young person. You know, earlier he had told people, uh, told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter four, uh, verse 12, this is kind of a famous scripture. He says, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Sometimes we have a tendency to talk about, you know, the kids these days or, or whatever, but like the youth uh, are amazing. And mm -hmm. oftentimes they are examples to the rest of us. Yeah. And, um, and, and they can be, there's, there's nothing, this, this church started with a 14 year old who, who went and had a prayer and, and had questions. So, so young people have always been at the heart of God's work. And it was no different in Paul's day. It's no different now. But the advice is the same. Be faithful, right? Be loving. Seek the spirit. Avoid, uh, avoid negative uh, circumstances and, and things like that. But let no man despise thy youth. I mean, don't, you know, you can be 14, 15, 16, 17. The missionaries we send out are 18, 19, mm -hmm. 20 years old. And they're out there just doing amazing things. So, Tom, as you, as you look at this, you know, serving as a bishop, working with the youth, how do you help some of these, these, these youth to see as in four, at verse 14, to neglect not those gifts that they, those natural gifts they have to you know, reach out and to, to be an asset uh, to the growth of the church? That's a great question. I think a lot of it is remind, reminding them of their identity. And I think we're all guilty of this. It's, it's rare that I'm walking around going, mowing the lawn thinking, I am a son of God <laughs> and have some of his divine attributes and this eternal nature and ability. I think reminding them of that and, and testifying of it and also delegating responsibility, allowing them to do hard things. Years ago, when I was a scoutmaster, there was nothing more maturing, uh, helping a, a young man 
get serious for a few minutes than mm -hmm. handing him the match and uh -huh. saying, go ahead and light it. And, and they, are, they look at you like, you're gonna trust me to do this? <laughs> and, uh, and say, say yeah. And, and they step up, they, they love that. They love being boys, love doing dangerous things. Um, but they love responsibility. They love being entrusted with that and they, they rise up to it. One of the things that um, we haven't touched on that I, I'm, I'd love to talk about, we see it as a savior taught it previous to these chapters about money and, and riches. Paul goes off uh, quite a bit mm -hmm. on, on this idea of, of some of the dangers of a love of money and how the root of it is evil. Can you talk a little bit about some of those, uh, some of the things that Paul is saying about the dangers of putting our focus and attention on money? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, the, the, the early church attracted all kinds. There were a lot of poor people in the church. It was actually one of the reasons the early church grew is because it, it was open to, to poor people. But there were a lot, a lot, a lot of wealthy individuals mm -hmm. as, as well who came into the church. And this created then, just like now, you know, sometimes some tensions. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not so different. And, and so Paul had some strong things to say. So if we go to chapter 6 of 1 Timothy uh, he starts in verse six, really teaching the, the principle here. Uh, he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain, right? To be content with what we have. For we brought nothing into this world and it's certain we can carry nothing out, right? <laughs> uh, that's just good advice. And then verse nine, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. It's not money, but it's the love mm -hmm. of money, right? This attachment to it, the desire of it, the focus on it, the right? Preoccupation. The preoccupation, yeah. the, the, you know, loving money rather than people, right? right? Yeah. Putting, putting it first. Because why, what does it do? Which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith, right? It distracts us from the more important things pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Money can get you in trouble, right? Um, but thou, O man of God, flee these things. Follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. He's not done. He, he talks about it uh, uh, later on. But, but in verse 18, he tells them to do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute the riches that they have, right? So, so he says, look, some of you, God's gonna bless you with riches, right? And mm -hmm. it, it's a little bit hard to predict why some people have them and yeah. why some people don't, right? He says, that's not the issue. It's, it's are, when God blesses you with this, are you ready to distribute it? Are you ready to put that money and turn it into good works? And, and it's amazing, people, people of Cabo Verde from, from my mission um, 30 years ago, would see themselves as rich, ready to distribute. I don't, I don't know if they actually saw themselves as rich, but they were ready to distribute the very little yeah. that they had. Yeah. And, and you find that so common with, with good saints, no matter their circumstances, they always feel like they have enough to, to share. Yeah, I remember, I mean, when, when people have a kind of deep encounter with Jesus Christ, and we see this both in the New Testament and in the Book of Mormon. So those people who witnessed Jesus Christ, who had the first witness of, of him, what did they do? They created societies 
where in both cases they had all things in common, mm -hmm. right? They distributed to, to, to the poor. I mean, this is what the apostles did. Is, is, it was all about the widows. It was about the poor. It was all these things. That's one of the markers of the true church. It's one of the markers of true Christianity. And it's always been a temptation. It will always be a temptation mm -hmm. as long as there is money in this world, right? To hold on to it, to it, grasp it. And so this is one of the things that prophets and apostles teach throughout the ages is to avoid that love of money. Uh, one of the books uh, within this, uh, these chapters that we're studying today, we, we haven't touched on yet, and uh, that is the, the book of Philemon. Yeah. Um, I'd love to go there. And uh, Patrick, would you mind giving us a little bit of uh, context and what can you teach us about this very short yeah. book and some of the things we can learn from yeah, it? Yeah, it's one of the shortest books in the Bible. And uh, this is also a letter to a person. So mm -hmm. Philemon is, is a person, a, a member of the church. And it's a really interesting situation. So Paul is in prison, actually, at the time. And there's a runaway slave mm -hmm. uh, who, is, who is run away from his master who's a member of the church. Uh, and he finds his way to Paul. The circumstances aren't entirely clear. And, and he finds his way to Paul, and Paul says, like, this guy is amazing, this, this slave who's run away to him. And it's unclear whether Paul converts him or whether he was already a Christian when he came, but, but e either way, this is a great guy, an amazing Christian. Um, but Paul sends him back to, to his, his master, and the whole letter is advice. It's, this is the letter to Philemon, the master uh, of, of this slave, uh, and uh, with, with advice that, that Paul is sending. Now, this letter has caused all kinds of trouble throughout history. I mean, so, so slave owners, for instance, in American history cited this as, as evidence that slavery was okay mm. and, and that the Bible supported slavery. And, and so, so again, sometimes we, we have to take these texts and, and uh, we have to recognize that Paul and the people at their time, you know, that they were creatures of their own culture. Uh, but of course, we know better now uh, and, yeah. and, and we've grown and, and, and we have greater light and knowledge in terms of the equality that actually Paul taught. And, the, and we even see that principle here in verse 16. When he sends uh, this, this slave Onesimus back, he says, now I'm sending him back, uh, not now as a servant, but above a servant, more than a servant a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And there's this sense that, that what Christianity does is it should erase a lot of these social divisions that are so natural mm -hmm. in society, these hierarchies that we have. Now, Paul and his culture, they struggled with that. A lot of Christians throughout history have struggled to live up to what the gospel teaches. But even here, he says, he, he's not just a slave, he's your brother. In Christ Jesus, we are all equal. Tom, I'm sure you see this a lot within your own congregation of just the different aspects and different, you know, people coming from different backgrounds and ways of life. How do you find the ability to, to really navigate through that and make sure that there is peace among your ward members? One thing that's been tough, I, I think tougher post-pandemic, um, some people in, from all of these different backgrounds have the idea that they're not part of the, the cool kids club. Like there's some <laughs> awesome social thing happening in the ward that, that they're not, that they haven't been invited to maybe. And everybody feels like that. We all, we all kind of went away for the pandemic. We came back and for some reason, we, we as my ward, I think, at, a lot of people have seen this, we haven't gelled quite the same way. A lot of, there's been a lot of turnover. Um, people got used to not 
like walking up and talking to each other. And people are friendly, but the level of activity and engagement just it hasn't quite recovered okay. yet. And so um, trying to explaining to people that you are the catalyst. You need to be the next catalyst. Invite somebody over. Um, be friends with them. Somebody that you want to meet, invite them over. Spend some time with them. We need to be good neighbors mm -hmm. um, instead of just ward members. But you're exactly right. In every ward, in every situation, people feel these kinds of inequalities. Mm -hmm. and, and part of what we're supposed to do in a ward is, is to heal those inequalities. Mm -hmm. to, we, we can't heal the whole world, but we, 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 can, we can do a lot within a context yeah. of two or 300 people. Yeah, you know, as we've been talking, I can't help but feel for Paul. I feel like this is a monumental task. That oh, yeah. It's, just, it's, it's huge. Um, I, having said that, I love the words that he shares in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Um, you know, as he approaches the end of his mission um, in verse 7, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. What, what can we learn from, uh, from this verse about just the journey? I want to hear from the marathoner here. <laughs> yeah, fighting the good fight, finishing the course. Yeah. You know, I worked, it was probably seven years trying to qualify for the Boston Marathon. I needed to run a marathon in three hours and 15 minutes. And I tried all kinds of things, um, changed the way that I trained, changed how my nutrition, changed my body composition, um, did quite a few things, chasing this goal that I, I wasn't sure I would ever get. And finally one time it happened and I could tell it was gonna happen like a half a mile from the end. I crossed the finish line and I, I was not expecting this, but it finishes, the Ogden Marathon finishes pretty close to the Ogden Temple and you run past oh, it. Wow. And I remember I ran past and, and saw it and thought, and I had the spiritual experience about attaining goals, setting mm -hmm. and reaching goals, and, and that Heavenly Father was proud of me. Um, another weird, like, aware of the details in my life, um, confirmation that you can do hard things, yeah. you can get there. And I, I think it's the same with our life. If we can look back and say, I fought the good fight. He's not saying I was perfect. My goodness, Paul, of all people, we know his, his history, where he came from. He said he was the, the chief sinner. Mm -hmm. um, to be able to say, I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith is amazing. And, and it gives me a lot of hope that I haven't done things as bad as Paul did. And I'm trying. I love that. Patrick, thank you so much for everything you shared with us and the insights that you provided. And, and Tom, it's been great to speak with you. Your, your ward members are blessed to have you as their bishop. It's been it's wonderful talking and getting to know Thanks, both man. of you. Thank you very much. And thank you for joining us at home for this discussion from First and Second Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. I encourage you to record and act upon any impressions that you've received. For additional study and teaching resources, visit byutv.org slash come follow up. Next week, we're diving into the first six chapters of Hebrews, where we'll talk about the depth of Christ's comprehension of our suffering and how Christ provides an anchor to the soul. Thank you for watching. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting. 